Our text this morning is taken from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. God has spoken. Do you take the time to listen? Have you heard what he says? Do you take it seriously? How well do you know it? God has spoken. What could be more important than to hear the words of your creator, the words of your judge? God has spoken. When the Apostle Paul wrote this second letter to Timothy, he was coming to the end of his ministry. We saw that in our reading in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He was ready to leave this life. See, he was facing trial. And it seems he was expecting he would face the death penalty for preaching the gospel. But before that happened, he wrote this letter to Timothy. And he gave him this vital encouragement, this teaching. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So, our first point is God has spoken. When we read this text, in the Greek it's, it's, it's really saying the Holy Scriptures are the very breath of God. Theopnostis. God breathed. If you hold your hand in front of your mouth when you speak, you can feel your breath. It is not that God inspired some writers to write something good in the way in which we use that term today. God breathed out the very words, not in a sense of dictation, but he used that human author, his character and experience to bring his very words, his very truth. Onto the page. And we have that word with us today. Peter said, when the disciples were met together in the upper room after Christ had ascended, Acts chapter 1 and the 16th verse, Men and brethren, this scripture must have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas which was guide to them that took 
Jesus. The Holy Spirit worked through David to bring the scriptures which David wrote. And we have these scriptures with us today. Before his arrest, the Lord Jesus Christ gave his apostles a firm assurance. John chapter 14, verse 25 and 26. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. And bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. How do we know that the gospel accounts are accurate? Because the Holy Spirit worked upon them to bring those very words to us. It is the word of God. When we open the Bible and read it, we are reading what God has said. What God wants you to know. This is foundational. There's always been a problem though, hasn't there? Right back in Genesis chapter 3. What's the first problem we come across? Genesis chapter 3. What did the serpent say? Yea, hath God said. Yea, hath God said. He was raising that doubt. Is that really what God said? At the very least, he wanted Eve to take a more relaxed view of Scripture. And we have so much of this today. Yes, it's the Word of God, but just be a bit more relaxed in your interpretation of it. Don't be so obscurist. So out of date. Be a bit more modern in your approach. Genesis chapter 1 is a portion of God's word which is especially under attack. When you read Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Nothing could be Stated so simply, yet so profoundly. You read through the whole of Genesis chapter 1, it's, it's very clearly set forth. But clever people say to us today, these are people who claim to respect God's word. They say, ah, but Genesis chapter 1 has a primarily theological purpose. That sounds so clever. It's telling us that God created. We accept that. But it means we can't treat it in any sense as 
an historical, a chronological account. No. The fact that it's theological, it tells us something about God, does not remove in any sense the fact that it's also telling us history. It's telling us chronologically what God did. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, very quickly. You can see in Genesis chapter 1 so much, but At verse 16, you see, And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. It's not complicated. God made the sun, God made the moon, and God set one to provide light in the daytime, and one at night time. And he called it the fourth day. Now, it was a solar day, because of the sun. It had an evening and a morning, and it was the fourth day. It's very plain. We do not have to pay close attention to all the thinkings of modern man whose theories and ideas and hypotheses change. Genesis chapter 1 is about a mighty miracle. It's what we call supernatural because it's not what ordinarily happens. God did something different to the ordinary laws of the world around us. God spoke. It happened. That's a miracle. Science cannot do measurements, think about it, and try to work it out. If God spoke and it happened... It's not something we can go back and test. Genesis 1 is theological, yes, but it's also set out as history. It doesn't give us all the details. It's a brief sketch. The main points. It's not written as a science textbook, I agree. But yet, the facts are very simply stated and very clear. All scripture. And that includes Genesis 1. Now, because some people say, and this is a question that's often been raised and thrown at people, but the Bible has two contradictory accounts of creation. Genesis 1, we see man comes at the end of the list. Genesis 2 reads differently. Man is at the start, and different things happen in different order, don't they? 
Isn't that a complete contradiction? Well, you must think the author of Genesis was stupid if that's what they think is happening. No, Genesis 1 is a, a chronological account of what happened. But Genesis 2 is different. It goes back and looks at man. The emphasis is on the culmination of creation, man. And so, looks at man and takes the story of man forward. Mentioning on the way that the same God did other things. The Bible doesn't have to state everything as a modern history book would. But when it is being chronological, it's very clear. Chapter 2 is not a piece of chronology. It's a piece of a writing of emphasis, detailed about man and what God did with man. So we don't need to be afraid of the skeptic. We should rather trust the word of the Lord. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5 and the 18th verse, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass on the law till all be fulfilled. Now that has a particular meaning in its context, but the, the, the greater meaning in a sense is that God's word lasts forever. It doesn't change. We can trust it. Even the smallest detail. Those jots and tittles. They were little marks in the Hebrew. Nothing alters with God's word. And we can trust it. God has spoken. Secondly, we see that God's word is profitable. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Just before the words of our text, we, we see that Timothy is, is told that in verse 15, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing could be more profitable than to be made wise unto salvation. And being wise has been the opposite of foolish. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's, that's not the person who is stupid or unlearned. That's, that's the clever person who should be able to appreciate all the evidence around, but who denies it? The evidence around proves conclusively that God exists, that God created. The irreducible co um, complexity of so many amazing things in our world shows us clearly that God made it. But 
We know the world is not what it should be. We know that things are wrong. We open the scriptures and it makes us wise. It shows us what happened after Eve listened to the serpent. I think we're all familiar with the story. After Adam took of the fruit also, they both knew they were naked. They took those leaves and tried to make coverings for themselves. And they hid from God. And that was so utterly sad. God made Adam. And from Adam he made Eve. They were created innocent. They were created for fellowship with God. But they went and did their own thing. They distrusted the word of God. They were unable to stand on their own. They gave way to that temptation. When we read about the scriptures being profitable. This is not about physically holding a book. It might build up your muscles to hold the book. It's not even just about the, 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 the reading the words in one sense. You can read the words without actually hearing them. Being profitable means Believing them, receiving them in faith. That's when God's word becomes profitable. That's when God's word makes wise unto salvation. We come back to Genesis chapter 3. We'll see there that verse 8 And Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord, the Lord God, amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? That was a call of conviction. The Lord God knew where Adam was. But he called out to intensify Adam's guilt. To bring him to an awareness of his sin. To show him something of his horror. We need to hear that convicting call of the Lord. When we hear the law of God explain, thou shalt not. We have to examine ourselves and see that we have broken God's law. Sometimes we think our sins are not too bad. We speak of white lies, perhaps. Being economical with the truth. 
But the Lord Jesus explained the law. The law is loving God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. That's perfection. At every moment of every day of your entire life. purpose of the law is to show us how far short of that we have fallen. We're sinners. Adam knew he was guilty. Verse 10, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11, and he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee, that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. See, Adam began to blame God for his own sin. Isn't that like us? We have a tendency to blame God for our sin. To make excuses. We mustn't do that. We are to come and humbly say. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. We need that sense of awe and reverence. And so we read on down through Genesis chapter 3. God brought words of conviction to them. But he also brought a glorious promise of salvation. Chapter 3, verse 15, speaking to the serpent. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You see, there would come a day when the seed of the woman would win the victory where Adam and Eve had failed so miserably. There's this constant battle going on between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. But one would come who would utterly defeat him know from the rest of scripture but this was the Lord Jesus Christ who won that victory on Calvary on that cruel cross but Genesis chapter 3 doesn't end there they suffered immediate problems as a consequence of the sin But God did something else that was very gracious to them. And very important. Verse 21. Unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. Adam and Eve had tried to make themselves a covering out of leaves. 
was no good. But then animals had to die. Blood had to be shed to provide a temporary covering of these skins. This pictured how the Lamb of God would come to save his people from their sins. How Jesus would die to provide that covering once and for all. The animal sacrifices continued throughout the Old Testament era. But then there came the day when the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. After the Lord Jesus had cried out, finished, it was all completed. God was gracious to Adam and Eve. He provided them a promise of the coming Redeemer. He gave them that Covering which typified the coming saviour. These details are important. The whole of scripture stands upon these words. Without the account of creation. Without the account of what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. The rest of scripture is utterly meaningless. The Bible is not a book of philosophy. It's not a book of ideas or ethics or politics. The Bible is a book about what God has done to save people from their sins. What God has done. God's word is profitable The Old Testament was a book of promise and of type looking forward. There's much that we could say about that. Lord Jesus, if you remember on the road to Emmaus, explained the Old Testament from Moses onwards through the prophets was about himself. But we must press forward. God's word is sufficient. Our third point. God's word is sufficient. We read back in the words of our text. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Not only does the scripture tell us about salvation, it also tells us what is wrong and how to do it right. Reproof means pointing out things that are wrong. 
correction means showing people how to do it right. We can very quickly notice Ephesians 4.28 is an example of both of those. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. It's a very practical example. Stop stealing and start working and giving. There's a contrast. Reproof, stop doing what's wrong. Correction, start doing what is right. There's many examples in Scripture that we could look at for that. It also deals with doctrinal matters. Because Galatians is about a doctrinal controversy. When the apostle wrote to the Galatians, he had to speak to them rather strongly. Galatians 1, 6-8, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. We've got to examine the scriptures and know what the scripture says. And then our doctrine can also be reproved and corrected. God's word is our standard for all of this. That the man of God may be perfect or, or complete. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The scriptures give us all that we need to live out the Christian life. We don't need some new revelation. We don't need an extra word from the Lord. The scriptures are sufficient. God has spoken. It is complete. This is known as sola scriptura. The holy scriptures are the church's sole inerrant authority in faith and practice. God has spoken. Let us take his word seriously. Let us trust him. Take him at his word. Jesus said during his temptation in the wilderness, Matthew 4 verse 4, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Psalm 1 Verses 1 to 2. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Never before have we had so much thrown at us every day that is from the ungodly. Think of all 
television, popular culture, the music industry, education, in every realm, the ungodly bombard us with their ideas, their different way of looking at the world. We, though, are to turn back to the word of God and to meditate upon it day and night. And that means, like Timothy, we are to learn what the God's word says. We are to take time to study it and understand it. God has spoken. His word is profitable. His word is sufficient. Amen. Our final hymn is number 358. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, you who unto Jesus for refuge have fled. 358. <laughs>